Hey everyone, welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. As most of Ontario moved into phase three on Friday and the summer temperatures are heating up, I'm glad that you're here joining us in worship today. We've been going through a series called How Jacob Became Israel, and we've been learning how God changes us by his grace. If you're new, an extra special welcome to you. Please drop us a line in the comments below to let us know you stopped by. Now, I wonder whether you're contemplating any endings right now. In my life, as probably in many of yours, I've walked through a number of them. I've ended my times at various jobs. I've ended relationships. I've ended my time in different cities and churches. But as I faced the reality of the biggest ending in my life up until that point, I was 10,000 kilometers away in Japan. We were coming to the end of a church plant. And with over a decade invested in establishing a new congregation with leadership and facilities and ministries in the community, I knew that if I stayed much longer, I would hinder the growth and development of the church. As a missionary, my role was a little like scaffolding. And when the church became established, it was important for me to move on and allow the Japanese leadership to take the church forward. But the more I wrestled with that ending, the more complicated it felt. We would at least need to move to another city, and that had huge implications for Jennifer and our children. It would also mean committing to a new ministry, which in the case of a church plant was likely to require another 12 to 15 years. The more we looked at all of the factors involved, the more it just looked like the ending of our church plant would also involve the ending of our time as missionaries in Japan. But it made me question, what would it mean to end well? I knew that people would remember our ministry in light of our ending. The impressions that we leave in our endings are a little bit like first impressions. You don't get a chance to repeat them. I had made a number of endings that I had regretted by that point in my life. And I had tried to learn from some of the bad endings that I had witnessed in others. So when the time came for that ending, I think we ended well. Not perfectly, I'm sure, but in a way that we've been able to look back and feel good about. I don't know whether you're dealing with an ending right now, or if there might be one around the corner, but I know that we all have to deal with endings. Today's passage teaches us how to end well. It looks at a time in the life of Jacob when a chapter of his life came to an end. And it shows us how to face an ending like, like that with wisdom instead of regret. If you don't already have a Bible, I'd encourage you to pause the video at this point and turn with me to Genesis chapter 31. I'll read from verses 1 down to verse 21. Genesis 31 verses 1 to 21. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. 
You know that I've served your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob. And I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I've seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regard regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, Whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he'd acquired in Padan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan, to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. This is the word of God. Now, if you were with us last week, you saw how Laban had tried to cheat Jacob and how God had blessed him. It just seemed that the more Laban tried to steal from him, the richer Jacob became. But instead of solving all of Jacob's problems, it created some new ones. So we're, we're here in verse one, Jacob overhears Laban's sons and they're complaining that Jacob's stolen their father's wealth. He hasn't actually, but that doesn't matter to them. The fact is Jacob's become rich while Laban has become poor. And that means their inheritance is gone. Verse 2 only adds to the description of Jacob's troubles. It says, And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. <laughs> it's an understatement. It's probably intended as a joke. Laban is fuming and Jacob can see it. Laban's made a career out of cheating people. And now he's sitting at the poker table and all his chips have been uh, sent over to the other side of the table in Jacob's lap. If you're Jacob at this point, you're thinking, I don't know if I'm going to get out of here alive. Is Laban really going to let him walk away? Isn't it only a matter of time before the sons come at him with knives and make sure his riches stay in the family? Now, what Jacob was facing was extreme. But it's often difficult circumstances like this that tempt us to move on. Life had become sufficiently intense for Jacob that leaving was something I think he was probably thinking about constantly. But I think we're too quick often to equate 
God's will with what's most comfortable for us. If something's unpleasant, that's often a good enough reason to move on, we tell ourselves. But God does some of his best work in the darkness. And comfort is hardly his biggest priority, right? Imagine how different the Apostle Paul's impact would have been if he decided to stop doing anything that made him or other people uncomfortable. Sometimes when it feels hard, it's just because it is hard. Now, maybe you've got a hard assignment right now. Difficult circumstances alone aren't any indication that it's time to move on. So don't let comfort be your guide. Now, just as Jacob was feeling the pressure of his circumstances and the threat of Laban and his sons, God spoke. In verse 3, he says, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Now it's clear that it's God that's directing Jacob's steps, not just his comfort. And this makes all the difference. Don't decide that you have to move on just because it's hard. Take your circumstances and what you're going through and bring them to the scriptures. Search the Bible for principles and examples that can inform your decision. And seek the Lord in prayer. Ask him to direct you. Facing an end with the assurance of God's presence that God gave to Jacob is totally different than facing an ending on your own because you just wanted to get out. With the assurance that this is part of God's good plan, the tension that Jacob has been experiencing in verses 1 and 2 now takes on a different light. Was it just a coincidence that Jacob overheard Laban's sons talking about him taking their riches? Was God at work in some of the tension to motivate Jacob to return to the promised land? I say that because 20 years have passed now and Jacob could otherwise be feeling pretty comfortable with his life in Haran. He's a rich man now, and with wealth comes comfort. Jacob was only supposed to come to Haran for a short while to get a wife and give time for Esau to calm down a bit. But now two decades have passed and Jacob seems to have forgotten that his place is in the promised land. Still doesn't know what Esau might do to him when he returns. So without a threat to his current circumstances, he probably would never have left. We all know how difficult change is, don't we? Mark Twain once said that the only person who likes change is a wet baby. <laughs> and I think he was right. We become really stubborn when we feel too comfortable. And sometimes God has to pry comfort loose from our hands to bring an end to a chapter and lead us to follow him. That was the point Moses was trying to make when telling the Israelites this story. They had spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness and God had called them to enter the promised land. The problem was there were giants in the land. And while the wilderness wasn't paradise, they had gotten used to it. It was familiar. And we often have a hard time giving up familiar. Is there an ending that God's calling you to make in obedience to him? Somewhere along the way, did you forget that your place is in the promised land? Personally, while I struggled with the de decision to return from Japan, I struggled a lot more with the decision to move there. I had my life mapped out already. 
I had a career path that didn't involve becoming a missionary. God had to pry comfortable and familiar out of my hands and teach me to trust him where he leads. But I've seen him do that with the smaller decisions of life as well. I've had to close chapters on sinful habits and accept endings to hopes and plans I didn't want to end. And along the way, God has taught me not to let comfort guide me. He knows best, and wherever he leads, I know the assurance of his presence is with me. Is there an ending right now that you're considering just because things are hard? Are you tempted to move on just because it feels more comfortable? Or is comfort holding you back when God is calling you to move out? Now, you might read these opening verses and think, well, that settles it. Jacob's just going to leave, right? Well, he doesn't. And I'm so glad. Do you know what he does instead? After he's evaluated his circumstances and he's heard from the Lord, he does something that is amazing. He talks with his wives about it. In verse 4, it says that Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field. He calls them together and he walks them through his circumstances and all that God's revealed to him. And you might think, why does he have to do that? God's spoken. Is he looking for a second opinion? And if God has really spoken, does he really need his family's input? And the answer, of course, is yes. <laughs> you should never make a decision about an ending like this on your own. The fact is, God uses other people to confirm his will in our lives. And even when God has spoken clearly and definitively, often other people can often bring wisdom and help fill in the blanks. And yet, pride so often keeps us from listening. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. It's saying that fools assume they're so smart, they don't need anyone else's input. If someone disagrees with them, that person must be wrong. Wise people know they don't have to have all the wisdom. Wise people have the humility to listen and take in. Wise people know they might be wrong. And so if you're thinking of closing a chapter on a job or a relationship or a part of your life, don't make the decision alone. Invite others in. Even if you're confident that you've heard from the Lord, remember that God confirms his will through other people. Now, I love the way that Jacob gives us a model here of how to do that. Do you know what he does? Starting in verse 5, he walks him through everything that's led up to this decision. He talks about how he's fallen out of favor with their father. He talks about how hard he's worked, despite the fact that Laban has changed his wages 10 times. But if he had just told Rachel and Leah about his circumstances and how hard it was, then they would give him advice based on circumstances and feelings. But he doesn't do that. At every step, he tells them what God had done. So in verse 5, he says, 
your father does not regard me with favor. But then he adds, but the God of my father has been with me. Laban may have tried to cheat him at every turn, but you come down to verse seven, it says, but God did not permit him to harm me. In verse 13, he also tells how God had appeared to him in a dream and told him to return to his home. And by framing the conversation in terms of what God had done and what God had said, he was making it clear to his wives that it was God's will that he was trying to understand. And I think often we get that wrong. We either approach big decisions on our own, or when we do include others, we're just looking for their opinions. What do you think? Instead of asking for their help in discerning God's will with us. Because if it's God's will you're after, you're going to ask people whose relationship with God you respect. You're going to ask them to point you to scriptures. You're going to ask them to pray for you. And some things will be clearer than others, but ultimately you get what you ask for. If you want the will of God, he'll reveal it. If you want human opinion, then that's all you're going to have to go on. And if you ever wanted encouragement, that you should make it clear that it's God's will that you're trying to understand when you get input from others, look what happens in verse 14. Rachel and Leah answer Jacob, but their words are quoted as if they've actually answered in unison. <laughs> And this is amazing because these two sisters have been arguing and competing with each other since we met them. But now, remarkably, they speak with one accord. They recognize God's hand and God's leading. And they end in verse 16 with the words, Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. If you ever wanted confirmation of the will of God, that was it. This is what it looks like. Now, are you pondering an ending in your life? Do you, have to, do you have a big decision you have to make? Do you think you've heard from God? Don't make the decision alone. God uses other people to confirm his will. So have the humility to invite others in. Now, so far, Jacob has taught us not to let comfort be your guide and not to make decisions alone. But he ends by showing us not to pack what you'll regret. And unfortunately, he does that through a couple of negative, negative examples. It starts in verse 19. It, it's the verse where Rachel steals her father's household gods. This is amazing because she's seen God's faithfulness protecting her and providing for her. And she's just heard Jacob recount how God blessed him and disciplined Laban. And still, she chooses to hedge her bets with idols that hadn't helped her father and could only hurt her. And I think, I think this happens often. I think there's something about the stress of endings that tempts us to sin. We're tempted to grab the company stapler on the way out the door. Why do we do that? I think we feel the pressure of transition and we turn to things that can spoil a good ending. Don't pack what you'll regret. Just as Rachel robs Laban of his gods, Jacob robs Laban of a proper goodbye. Verse 20, verse 20 just says, And Jacob 
tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. In his case, fear keeps him from being honest with his father-in-law. But there are a hundred reasons that we rush our endings and pack our bags with regret as a result. When we first launched our church plant in Japan, we met in the afternoon. So in the morning, we continued to attend our parent church. But at a certain point, doing that in the morning and doing this in the afternoon, it just became too much. But I still regret rushing our departure. Instead of seeing what was happening and planning and communicating our transition in advance, I abruptly announced one morning, we just couldn't do it any longer. And it expressed a sense of carelessness toward a relationship that was very precious to us. Don't pack what you'll regret. Don't rob people of a proper farewell. Take your time with your goodbyes. People will remember the final impression you leave them with, and a bad ending can spoil a good relationship. Now, Jacob teaches us some things about how to end well. But he points to Jesus who shows us how to do it even better. Jesus sweat drops of blood seeking to confirm the will of God with a simple prayer, not my will, but yours be done. And even though they didn't get it and couldn't possibly understand, he kept asking his disciples to join him in prayer. Far from making his choices based on his comfort, he submitted himself to death because he knew that that was the only way to save us. If it was me on that cross, I'd probably shut out the people around me and just try to get it over with as quickly as possible. But even as Jesus confronted life's most painful ending, he provided for his earthly mother, he offered hope to the criminal next to him, and he prayed for the ones who had called for his death. And we remember Jesus' life through the lens of that ending. We always do. You and I are going to face a lot of endings in this life. But there's a final ending that none of us can avoid. We can't, we can't out, opt out of it because it feels uncomfortable. We can't consult with anyone to see whether we should accept it or not. As the Bible says, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. That ending is fixed for all people. But because of Jesus, we don't have to face it with regret. If you put your full weight of trust in him, you can face that ending with the hope and confidence of eternal life because of the death that Jesus died for you. So don't pack your bags for eternity with regret. Put your hope in the one who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you and follow him in how you approach all of the endings in this life. Because he's been there, he knows what you're going through. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for, I pray for that person who is contemplating a transition right now, who's thinking about moving on and bringing an ending to this chapter of their life because it just feels too hard, too, too uncomfortable. Give them the grace, Father, to seek your face, to seek your will, to seek out your scriptures. Give them the courage to invite others in, to confirm your will. 
to make it clear that it's you that's leading them on. I pray, Father, for for all of us, and I pray for us as a church. May we never forget that our place is in the promised land. Stir us up, make us uncomfortable if we have become too comfortable in this world. Too comfortable outside of your will. Help us to say an ending, to bring a close to chapters of sin, complacency in our lives that we know that you have no part of. And I pray, Father, for that person listening this morning who knows that as they face that final ending, they do so without any confidence of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and of his power in their life. Lead them to the cross, Father. Lead them to the place of Jesus' death on behalf of sinners and help them to put their full trust in him and give themselves in, to, to follow him and to glorify him. Thank you, Father, for your precious promises that you are with us in all of the endings of our lives. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I hope that today's message has equipped you for some of the endings that you'll face in this life, and maybe an ending that you're contemplating right now. But if it's brought out more questions or needs or prayer, prayer concerns, then send me an email or leave a comment below. And if there's someone in your life who'd be encouraged by this message, share it with them. And as always, for more messages of hope, visit www.gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.